Welcome to this episode of uh, Views from Down Under. Uh, today, uh, we decided to come together um, a week after our other uh, podcast episode, mainly because there are significant events that have happened in the world. And one of the most significant events is uh, the Biden and Xi meeting uh, ahead of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. And there are significance all over the place. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of feel-good factor and hashing out, but it's the first meeting, face-to-face -face meeting, in-person meeting between the two presidents uh, since Biden became um, uh, president of the United States. Uh, third, three, uh, on his third year, this is the first time that Xi Jinping met him in, uh, in San Francisco, in the Bay, Bay Area. Anyway, uh, without further ado, uh, Let's uh, let uh, let me ask my colleague Nick Nick to uh, begin the discussion on this topic and uh, shout out to, again to uh, uh, to June uh, who's not here with us today, uh, likely uh, having to take care of the baby now now that he's a new father. And I'm glad that Neil is on board and Orson is on board today. So Nick, why don't you bring us to uh, this uh, particular discussion? Well, thanks, Alex. Um, this is a very important development in world politics. Uh, the U.S.-China relationship really does set the tone for many um, other relationships uh, in international relations. Obviously, it's not the only thing that's going on in international politics, but it's certainly one of the important structural relationships, so to speak. And, you know, this relationship over the last year is not gone particularly well. Uh, in February 2023, we had the Chinese espionage balloon that sailed for seven days or so over the United States. Uh, you also had in June 2023, Biden referring to Xi as a dictator. Uh, and you've also had this whole issue of the, the lingering issue of, of Taiwan in the background, all the discussion about whether there's going to be conflict in the next couple of years. And, you know, it's not been a particularly harmonious um, year. That said, uh, beneath the surface uh, level discussion, there's been a lot of interaction between um, the Biden administration and the, the Xi administration, particularly on the economic front. So you've had Janet, Janet Yellen go over to China. Uh, you've also uh, had a number of uh, other officials go over to China and in engage with the Chinese. This whole issue of assurance to the Chinese that um, they, the United States is inter interested in a relationship, a uh, serious relationship with the Chinese, even while they engage in strategic competition with the Chinese. So there's a, a balance that's going on there. And in respect to the Biden-Xi meeting uh, that, that occurred uh, a couple of days ago, we had an, two relatively positive developments. First, you had the agreement on the Chinese side with the United States to, to try to control the flow of narcotics slash fentanyl uh, into the United States. Uh, there's also, in, and this is probably more, well, equally significant, is the agreement between China and the United States to develop their mill-to-mill -mill relationship. As we know, uh, since um, the spy incident, uh, well, actually, to be more specific, uh, since the Taiwan issue, Last year in August, uh, the Chinese and the United States have suspended uh, mill-to-mill relationships uh, and discussions, and this has now uh, 
because of the Biden Xi meeting being given a kickstart again, and we can anticipate further discussions. Um, and also a very important development that occurred just prior to the Bai Xi, uh, the Xi, uh, Xi Jinping meeting with Biden was, in fact, John Kerry's um, meeting with his counterpart, uh, where they discussed about cl climate and, and COP28, uh, which is coming up uh, very soon, right? So, and, and to the extent that, and I believe uh, climate change is one of the key issues in world politics, this is a very important development, a very positive development. And also there was some discussion that, that was reflected in the readout after the uh, meeting where United States and China are looking at AI, right? So, um, you know, this is important course correction in US-China relations. But at the same time, um, I, I would say that we got to keep all this in perspective. The fact of the matter is um, competition, strategic competition is baked into the US-China relationship. Uh, and this was very clear in a statement that Biden made in a news conference after uh, the meeting where he said, quote, we're in a competitive relationship, but my responsibility is to make this rational and manageable. And so we see even in this positive development, there is this underlying structural competition between the US and China. And on the, on the part of Xi, he was trying to dampen down this idea uh, that the US, United States and China are in a competitive relationship, but we know for a number of years now, Xi Jinping in China, when he's speaking to his domestic audience, he's emphasizing the fact that the US and China are in a deteriorating relationship. So that kind of sets the tone for our discussion for today. Um, guys, I'll leave it to you. Well, I think that was, that was when I was reading the readout and certainly sort of reading around the, the, the bilateral and what came out of it, what struck me certainly was, again, the, the, the domestic audience cost element in a way. I mean, the first thing that Joe Biden said in his press conference was uh, how he's had um, productive discussions about fentanyl and and with China and addressing the the, the fentanyl opioid um, um, situation in the U.S. Um, and you could see that emphasis on on what he was on, on the domestic cost sort of element of it. He kept saying constantly, "I've been blunt with Xi Jinping. I've been blunt with the Chinese side." And you can and you can sort of get you can sort of see why that is because no sooner did Xi Jinping land in San Francisco than you had the Republicans who were running for president like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis already coming out and saying oh such summits might make the U.S. appear to be soft in China. So you had that from the U.S. domestic side, but you could also see a bit of the domestic audience cost element in terms of the statements from the Chinese side and what Xi Jinping said, uh, the emphasis on on constantly. In, in every news report, the emphasis was constantly on saying, oh, um, it's important that China, that the U.S. respects China. It's important that, you know, the world is big enough for, for the two superpowers to survive and the U.S. shouldn't try to suppress China or change China. And and uh, domestically, Xi Jinping is also in a tricky position. I mean, the economy isn't doing too well. And I suspect part of the reason of coming to the U.S. and having the meeting with the U.S. CEOs was to try and sort of bring more investment, and keep those economic relations alive. Um, so I was certainly struck by by the, the, the emphasis on how this plays out domestically, both in the US and in China. And while certainly there was good progress in terms of uh, reopening military to military relations and tackling, and tackling fentanyl, 
I think there was somewhat of a general consensus that the expectations of, of something coming out of this was quite low. And I suspect largely they have been met. Uh, and I think that was sort of my perception of it anyway. I think just to carry on from where Neil has ended off is that there's, I, the when you look at this meeting at on the sidelines of APEC and you, 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 you think about what they've discussed and how they've communicated the 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 stuff of the matters that they have talked about. The three three things actually come out to come to mind. Firstly, they're talking over each other. The communication of US and China that they present to the world is is symbolic of two powers that are talking about different things on the same issue. So like where 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 the US says, oh, we, we are now working with China, this, 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 China is then China then replies and say, Oh, you know, uh, we are insistent that the US give us space and not contain us. And 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 the, the messagings come across as coming from two very separate points. On the second note, uh related to the, the first point about how you know uh they are talking basically over each other, uh, you have the sense that these are actually two leaders that need each other at the same time. You know, this meeting, you know, uh, as we were talking about uh, or we mentioned earlier when we were discussing before we started recording, we can almost coin it as a meeting of desperados. On one hand, you have Biden facing a re-election campaign where his... (laughs) His points are not doing very well. Uh, his points deficit is doing badly. You know, the Democrats are all worried about their ele- election chances. On the other hand, you have Xi in China who's facing immense domestic pressures because of the legacy or the consequences and the legacy of his COVID lockdowns and all, and his and his recent crackdown on the more liberal sectors of the Chinese economy resulting in what we've talked about previously, skyrocketing youth unemployment, uh, real estate crisis that leads to a, that might lead to a banking, local banking crisis in China and all of that. And what these two leaders need at at this point in time is actually some semblance of normalcy. And we must remember that for 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 both US and China, a semblance of normalcy is is basically, you know, you flash back to the nineteen nineties and early two thousands when China was growing economically economically strong, double digit GDP growth, simply because they were operating within the system sponsored by the US. Thirdly, although the bo- both the, oh, both leaders need each other. It's something that they are not willing to, uh, not they're not willing to say it out loud to their public. They're not willing to go to tell and educate their their domestic public that you know a fraught relationship, a tense relation, competitive competitive relationship between these two countries is in nobody's favor. You hear you hear the way Biden talks about China after the after the whole uh, meeting, the way when he was questioned about whether he still considers he a dictator 
And then he's like, yes. <laughs> and then Blinken goes, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's things like this where you, you have an opportunity. This meeting is an opportunity for you not only to, to de-escalate the rising tension, but to also educate your domestic public about the importance of, of ha- ha- this interdependency within the relationship. But yeah, yeah, we don't I, see I, that. I, I think yeah. those, those points mm-hmm. are very well taken. You know, just just jo- joining in a little bit and just to pick up on what you all have said. Uh, firstly, uh, uh, you know, definitely it is a significant uh, meeting, uh, although that, uh, as Neil has pointed out, even reports have been talking about the expectations were quite low with regards to this meeting. But, but despite the fact that the expectations are quite low, it's still an important meeting because there are things that have to be hashed out. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and this military-to-military to military to military, uh, uh, engagement again is important because, you know, the last three years, the last four years, it's all heightened by these tensions in the Taiwan Strait, these tensions in, in the South China Sea, we're in, uh, you know, uh, navies uh, from everywhere are all crowding out the mm. South China Sea and the, and, and the Taiwan Strait as such. So, uh, and the East China Sea as well. So, so y- y- this is dangerous times. And if they're not talking, then the, you know, collision can happen quite easily. So a little bit of coordination, a little bit of coordin- uh, talking is important. Although I have to note though, uh, I don't know who Lloyd Austin will be talking to because there's still no <laughs> defense minister in China. So, yeah, that's right. so yeah. I mean, yeah. yes, so, you know, multiple audiences, isn't it? I mean, it, at the same time, they're, they're talking to, they're, in a sense, the United States is not just talking to China, it's talking to US allies. Indeed. In and in Europe, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but but having said that, though, I mean, remember we were talking about in earlier episodes uh, that in the Chinese case, there is a dual track with regards to uh, heads of uh, important agencies, right? So uh, the defense minister is at the government side, but then you have the party side, where is the mm. chair of the. Central Military Commission, and you know who the chair of the Central Military Commission is. That normally is the Secretary General of the of the CCP, which is Xi Jinping. Uh, just to pick up on Orson's uh, point, though, yes, the domestic the domestic uh, optics, right? It's really for optics for the domestic audiences as well. Uh, uh, China is not doing particularly well after you know coming out of the COVID. Uh, with all the bad economic report. Yes, uh, the uh, Chinese economy still grew by four, between 4.9% to 5.3% around that. Uh, and They say the Chinese economy grew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but its export did grow. So, yeah. so the, the reality is its export is picking up. It's all, so, you know, so there are things that are happening on China's side, uh, uh, but it's not it's not the old eight percent, nine percent growth. So the growth is definitely slowed down, and, and, his, and his position is shaky, and you can tell it by the way they've communicated this whole trip 
to San Francisco to the Chinese public. You know, in all the in all the reportings by the Global Times, by uh, Xinhua News, and and the local Chinese media, they keep emphasizing the fact that you know she was personally invited by, by Biden to travel to APEC to meet uh, to join in the APEC summit and to meet with him on the sidelines of APEC. You know, one to one. Uh, meeting and all, you know, it's it, the 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 way they frame it is that, you know, Biden had to come and you know ask him personally to to join us, and that's how great our leader is. That's one way to. That's one way definitely uh, uh, is trying to sell. Uh, the other way is uh, the fact that uh, there are also reports that he actually didn't want to go. Uh, mm. And and one of the reason why, in my view, why Xi Jinping main originally didn't want to go is that you were saying that uh, that he has a very precarious position and the business is actually the business of taking care of economics at home yeah mm. but now that he has gone and 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 he has gone they've met uh the significance there is is the fact that you there are two things happening here uh uh and and one of the point is is that within the united states itself uh Biden is facing a very, very tricky re-election prospects. Uh, and the fight is now, you know, the New York Times report about different scenarios putting him really uh, lagging behind uh, the, presumpt- uh, the, the presumed uh, candidate for the Republican side. And you also have a, and you also have a situation where in, uh, uh, what do you call this? Uh, uh, a, Repub- a probable Republican administration in 2025 mm. uh, that is going to turn America inside out. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's lots of things about that. Uh, domestic, it's all domestic politics in my view. And, you know, this meeting is important just to calm nerves uh, on both sides. Mm. On both yeah, sides. Nick? Very good point, Alex. Um, uh, this U.S. Presidential election is a is is kind of a distant, not so distant cloud. Like you know, it's a cloud that's coming along next year, and it's something that before long is going to capture everyone's attention. Uh, just a quick point before I get to that: um, there is one underlying reason why, even if Xi Jinping uh, was reluctant, as you say, to go to San Francisco, uh, there was a reason, compelling reason why he would want to go to the United States. And that's because China desperately needs Western technology. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, it's one of the areas where, you know, the the so-called US-led Western world or, you know, international order, uh, to be more precise, uh, really does have an edge on the Chinese. I mean, that's the technology side of things. And and that includes Taiwan, which as we know, in terms of the um, chips is, is, is world-leading. And so that's just one aspect where, you know, China doesn't necessarily have it all its own way and that gets kind of lost in the narrative. But just to kind of get back to the uh, upcoming U.S. election, um, you know, this is something that hasn't necessarily been emphasized enough by the the media, which is that, you know what, and I'll just put it out there, you know, if Xi Jinping had a vote in the 2024 U.S. presidential election, he would be voting for Trump, right? Because how else can he introduce an element that would cause severe disruption in the U.S.-led coalition, right? It will uh, 
a, a potential Trump uh, presidency would cause incredible U.S. domestic turmoil. It will also agitate the U.S. alliance network in ways that uh, Xi Jinping can only dream about, right? And uh, and that's something that adds an element of complexity to U.S. strategy, right? That uh, really is something that uh, certainly if, if I were in, in, uh, doing foreign policy, uh, God forbid, uh, that would be something that I'd pay a lot of attention to. I think I think it's not just the going back to your previous point about U.S. tech. It's not just U.S. tech. It's it's American money. The, there's a reason why he met up with the businessman, right? Because was it uh, earlier earlier this month that the quarterly uh, financial statements for was it the foreign direct investment liabilities had its first deficit, well, deficit of a uh, eleven point eight billion. So for the first time in 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 well I don't know how long, China recorded its first ever quarterly deficit in FDI. So all these yeah, that's foreign right. that's right, Austin. Yeah. yeah. All these foreign companies all, are, yeah, are, right. are pulling out all their money. And that's if you've got no foreign if the, the American companies, the 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 uh, the big European businesses, they, they pull out their investment in China, where's they, where's he gonna get the capital? Mm. You know? Yeah. Sent, Beijing as a central government really has to has to has to keep the local governments afloat. They've got to subsidize the local banks to keep the local banks from going going bankrupt because they are overexposed to the real estate markets in the rural areas of China. Capital capital, you know, capital is uh, short in China at the moment. And if, if the, the American companies and the Western companies keep pulling out, you know. What's going to be left for them? I mean, that's what after the standing ovation, sell got treasury it. bonds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, after we're no longer in the heyday of China's rise now. We're we're in an era where all the complexities and blowback from Chinese foreign policy over the last decade are yes. just coming back to roost. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. You know, I mean, the the fact that we've been talking about, you know, investments are not just only a reaction to 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 the economic signals, but the political signals, right? I mean, it is because uh, we we have been saying it in, in earlier episodes, you know, this issue of stationary bandits and roving bandits problem, you know? So so with uh, the 2016 reintroduction of a succession problem uh, and, and a more authoritarian tilt under, under Xi Jinping, uh, it's worrying the investors because what is going to happen in fall after Xi Jinping, mm. right? So, mm -hmm. so it's those are some of the things that are are reacting. So, so you know, having said that, though, um, you know, the United States is not the only investment uh, investment uh, exposure in in China. I think bigger exposure are you know by countries in the region. You know, mm. um, Korea has a lot of exposure in China, Japan, and these are the countries that are slowly. Slowly getting, you know, uh, uh, yep. pulling back because not necessarily, you know, because of the uh, of whatever they see, but I think, you know, it's really very, very much being triggered by the fact that, you know, uh, the authoritarian tilt uh, that has moved and and worrying business people with regards to where with regards to what happens next, and mm -hmm. and in that case, many will hold on to their money rather than. Rather yeah. than invest, and then of That's course right, uh, you, the, you know the the very well publicized uh, 
uh, raiding of corporate offices uh, in China. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's happening. Like McKinsey and you know all of that stuff. Rain, and and yeah. and in fact, uh, Foxconn, uh, Taiwan's Foxconn, uh, is being investigated uh, mm. uh, by the Chinese authorities. Uh, I wonder if it's anything related to the fact that the uh, Foxconn's former uh, chair and still largest shareholder uh, Terry Kuo is. Uh, is uh, running for president, president in Taiwan. Taiwan. And whether that's related to that, uh, he, his company being investigated. And so all this, you know, is a signal of the authoritarian tilt that makes investors uncomfortable. So, but Xi Jinping, you know, all of a sudden going to, to the United States to talk about the investment climate and all of that. Yeah, we can understand that, but he, he needs to realize though, it's, it's what he did. Uh, with mm. regards to the authorita- authoritarian move in in Chinese politics, so to speak, that made people uncomfortable. Um, yeah, he, he made yeah, his so, own bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so for from the region's perspective, though, it's better, you know, it's better that that the United States and China do talk rather than not talk. You know, I mean, if we're if we're talking, you know, if we're talking from the region's perspective, the small states, the middle powers in the region. We'd rather see China talk rather uh, China and the United States talk rather than not, because if they don't talk, the miscalculation can be much more, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and and if like like we've always uh, said as well, is that you know uh, China is an elephant, the United States is an elephant, and we here the the smaller states and the middle powers are the grass where these two elephants are trotting on, and if they if they play rough. We are the victims of it, and uh, and with how the economy is going globally, uh, the expectation that inflation is not uh, still not coming down very mm-hmm. quickly in the United States, uh, and in fact, these dom- dom- uh, economic issues are going to be big, uh, hovering around uh, uh, American election this coming mm-hmm. November next year, November next year. So. They need to talk because it's the politics. The politics of the last three years, uh, and certainly post-COVID, has really affected economic, global economic performance. It really has affected global economic performance. Uh, the you know the stubbornness of inflation cannot be just discounted to what you know uh, increased consumer demand or what have you. It has a lot to do with the imposition of politics mm. into how normal economic relationship has been. Mm-hmm. So when we are, you know, we're moving out of China and trying to shift to India and or, or Vietnam, but these companies are not big enough yet to supply, mm. then we have a problem. We mm. will have supply chain problems for a while, and these supply chain problems are are uh, are not just. Ukraine issue are not just what's happening in Israel, uh, but it's also some some of them are you know legitimate moves by global economies to move away from from uh, to to be much more green, right? So mm. so as we move more green, uh, we need companies that can supply these things to make us more green, and mm-hmm. so and and everybody knows that the shift from our much more carbon-dominated economy to a much more green economy is going to be quite expensive too. And it's also contributing to inflation. And then, of course, the politics. 
we're in the abnormal relationship right now between the U.S. and China and, and how the U.S. is using its political soft power and hard power to convince all the others not to, to slow down its you know, China trade as well is not necessarily helping also. So, mm. so uh, of course, China didn't really come out of a lockdown until, until end of last year. That is still a supply chain problem. So, so until the global economy settles down, we are in for a rough ride. And initially, I thought that by 2024, things, economically speaking, inflation will be much more controlled and what have you. But even in New Zealand now, uh, uh, there are, you know, banks are predicting that, you know, the Reserve Bank is not going to lower uh, interest rates mm. uh, next year. It's probably going to hold it and, and then wait and see. So, so think of the impact on New Zealand economy as well with regards to relatively high inflation and quite stubborn inflation. And the start, and, and we we have to just move back and say that. The stubborn inflation and, and the state of global econo- economy is, has a lot to do with the instability of political relationships between these two dominant powers. Mm. And you know, we just the stubbornness yeah. of the, the the political decisions from from both countries as well. Yeah, yeah, and mm. it's domestic too, right? Yeah. It's both the domestic audience. China doesn't want to look weak because. You know, they keep on harping about the idea that if we look weak, we will be beaten up. You know, so, Manifest so there's this destiny. saying. Yeah, there's this saying. There's this saying yeah. in 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 China uh, as one of the lessons learned from the century of humiliation is that when you're weak, you'll be beaten up. So yeah. they don't they they don't want to appear weak. But on the other hand, the United States doesn't want to appear weak either. And 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 the reality is, uh, one of the pillars of American foreign policy is U.S. primacy, and the fear that. As you, if you just, if China just grow, it will become bigger. And will U.S. want that? So, so um, I'm reminded of uh, Ken Organsky's work on power transition, and in the in the in the late '50s when he was predicting about, you know, China would be, you know, if you, if you look at China, if China gets things right and and is able to industrialize, it will be quite difficult to stop its growth because it's big, right? So yeah. as a that's right. Um, although you know, we if we kind of look to Chinese history in the in the near run, particularly since forty nine, the yeah. CCP has if if not uh, been been its actually own worst enemy, and and you know tendency to shoot itself in both feet. Yeah, and and in fact, you know what? Just just to give one example, the last time I can recall a Chinese defense minister somehow. <laughs> You know, being removed or disappearing and so forth is actually Lin Biao, you know, uh, back in the early 70s, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and we're here in 2023, and again, a Chinese defense minister mysteriously is removed. You know, we're, we're seeing a repeat of trends that we thought had, had been long gone. And Yeah, and that mm-hmm. trend is the, the one common thing uh, about this trend is that the two leaders at that point in time are. Author- very, mm. even more authoritarian. That's right. Right. So Lin Piao was removed. Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong was uh, was was chairman. Right. Xi Jinping. <laughs> now, but in between, wherein you have much more collective leadership, 
from 79 until Xi Jinping, yeah. it's much more stable. So what is, what is the story telling mm. us again, right? It's telling us the fact that you have these, the, the problem of, 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 of in reintroducing the succession problem and, 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 and Xi Jinping's much more iron grip, supposedly iron grip uh, on the Chinese Communist Party. So, yeah, uh, I, I think understanding China well, from this, this would be a uh, this is a deep structural weakness in the Chinese political system. This succession. yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. It, 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 we know that authoritarian systems have have structural weaknesses, right? Uh, uh, and and yeah, and you, it's, it's again the leader. One leader can actually flip it really, really fast. There's no such thing as an institutionalization mm. of that collective leadership. So it's still a lot of wait and see uh, with regards to how China is gonna be ten years from now, twenty years from now, because yeah. Xi Jinping. Of course, you know, who knows who comes the, after Xi Jinping? Alex, this raises the important question of. Uh, domestically imitation effect on other leaders that come online in the next yeah. few years. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, it also on a foreign policy front raises the question, what on earth does a regional state do <laughs> in responding to uh, China and, and this these, these uh, challenging circumstances that it is arguably not reacting particularly well? I mean, what, what does the state do? do? Does it somehow accommodate China uh, or does it, um, you know, adopt a, a more, I, I don't want to say hard line, but a, a, a tougher position of, of non-accommodate or, or rather making some uh, adjustments, but basically holding the line against the Chinese, you know, and pushing back like the Japanese, for example. Well, you know, I mean, I think there are a couple of ways that you can look at it because from a small state, how, how, you know, if you're a small state, what what can you do, really? You know, so so, uh, and when this is all, these are all happening within the Chinese domestic political context as well. I think for a small country like New Zealand, uh, you know, we have to find a way to live with the roughness of the sea, so to speak. Uh, but we're also kind of in a situation we're in. We want to make sure so that that. The United States is not also created, you know, it's not also unstable, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, so you we know, have two situations here. Alex, is, it's facing a such a challenging circumstance. I don't believe it's ever been this challenging for New Zealand foreign policymakers yeah. and certainly the Luxembourg administration in living memory. Because not only do they have to worry about this whole issue of their leading trading partner, China, being practicing coercive diplomacy against the region and many, but it also has to worry about the US side. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? So the, the whole C and Biden summit takes up a lot of paid, uh, space on front page news and all that. But at the end of the day, in the halls of Canberra, in the halls of Jakarta, in the halls of the Beehive, in no, no, the the whatever hotel they're cooped up in Auckland now trying to form the government. Cordis. <laughs> the Cordis, yeah. You know, it it's one step forward, two step backs for, backwards for us. Yeah, the the, yeah. the two the two great powers are meeting and they're finally talking. But on the sideline, what happens? Biden announces that they are withdrawing from I, they are withdrawing IPEF. Yeah. Mm. So the, the 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 trading uh, the the economic framework that 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 they tout. at least at least gave us some some form of 
suboptimal uh, <laughs> sub some virtual sub, carrots yeah suboptimal yeah, sub, uh, yes. sub uh, starting point you yeah. know for 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 increase economic engagement of the US is now gone china yeah, yeah. she she has only announced that you know china is open for business but when what he doesn't say when he says china is open for business is china is open for business under his terms mm. you know we we are now in in an environment where we you know the space if they are talking together it doesn't mean that the space for us is is more to for for us to exercise agency it might be that we are being constrained even more because think, it's 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 a no it isn't a win-win situation for us i th- i think the 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 interesting uh, thing for the incoming luxon government <laughs> if it ever <laughs> happened <laughs> If it ever happened, and 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 for similarly situated countries, uh, small countries in the region, um, is this issue that Nick you've picked up? We've never been in any contemporary history, been in a situation wherein we actually worry about the management of these two superpower relationships and our relationship to these superpowers. We've never had to worry that we had to do it two sides, right? It used yeah. to be you can you only have to play one hand or play the other hand, but this time around, it's all hands on deck, and mm. you and you can you can step on the wrong side of the uh, of your of the United States. You can step on the wrong side of China. So, and and then both of them can step on each other, and then it's gonna have flow on effects to us. So it is uh, a very challenging time for foreign policymakers and for people who are studying these relationships because, you know, putting all your, I don't know, I mean, in in the way that what 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 is what how America is evolving as a dem- as a political system, sitting sitting here in New Zealand and certainly in many of the capitals in uh, in Southeast Asia, we're concerned. We're concerned. You know what is a second Trump administration uh, gonna look like, and how volatile the relationships are going to be uh, bilaterally between us and the United States, as well as you know China, U.S. Uh, I think it's uh, you know, there's quite a bit of things for us to worry. Yeah, that that. There's there's also the worry that you know, if if the U.S. and China start talking to each other and they they start to normalize their their relationship somewhat, what happens to American presence in the region again? Is it going to be a repeat of like the early two thousands where when you had the war and terror and suddenly Southeast Asia becomes the the you know the the forgotten little region of U.S. foreign policy, what happens to the Philippines that's put most of its eggs in the American basket at the moment? What happens to, you know, a country like Singapore, which which depends on America, or, or I would say depends, but recognizes the American presence in, in Southeast Asia and in the Indo-Pacific, by and large, is, is a good thing for them. You know, uh, you think about Yesterday was it? Yesterday they had the whole thing about the Australian mm. ship that was in the East China Sea, in Jap- Japan's economic 
exclusive economic zone they were doing. They had some divers trying to get rid of some fish nets from the propellers and the Chinese warship came along and used sonar pulses to go and uh, injure the divers and all, mm. all of that. You know, if if uh, there's a normalization of, of relationship and, and, and Biden doesn't, Biden says a lot of things but doesn't do a lot of things, then China might just become a bit more bolder in the region. Yeah, I mean, certainly this does, your, your point, uh, Austin, just suggests that there has to be backup to, to whatever rhetoric is articulated in these various meetings. And, you know, this idea that US and China are going to be in this relationship with strategic competition, that's, saying that is one thing, but it's, the region is going to be very closely watching whether the United States backs up what it says with its actions. And yeah. that's mm. going to be something we're all going to have to pay a lot of attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, South China Sea, we know the Philippines is having all kinds of problems with the Chinese. It's not toned down at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in fact, the United States has come out and said that uh, they're all in with the, the alliance relationship. And that will be... Yeah, but there's no litmus test for, for that until something happens, right? And yeah, then we'll see yeah. if they are all in. Yeah, and uh, you in know... Yeah, who knows? Yeah. And then with the preoccupation of election next year, mm. and then the possible coming of Trump a second time, yeah, you know, who who knows what American behavior will be? I mean, I think um, in a way, America, American politics, domestic politics may dominate. They might be eating mm. themselves up mm. over there that uh, that they uh, they don't, you know, I mean. Yeah, they, 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 there's a lot of uh, holes, so, so to speak, in, within American really, presence in the region. Yeah, this points out that, you know, the discussion so far highlights that United States and China could be dysfunctional in different ways, right? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and I think, you, 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 and, and, you know, just to wrap up what we're, we're talking about today, you know, uh, uh, we're talking about these two leaders who are in different domestic political positions, right? They're both at relatively weaker uh, uh, when they started out. Uh, one, because of the economy. The other one, also because of the economy and and the fact that, uh, uh, you know, uh, American domestic politics is dominating uh, all the events right now and Chinese domestic economic performance is also hurting it. So Orson, you're talking about it's almost like a meeting of des two desperados, desperados in a way, yeah. uh, trying to trying to commiserate uh, with each other uh, to at least in a way to say, hey, how can we help each other? Uh, you know, look a little bit better. But importantly, though, um, to also calm nerves and make sure that, as Biden will say, that competition does not lead to conflict. And for us in the region, uh, we are also concerned about that. We don't want that competition to lead into conflict. Uh, but we also don't want to mean that that when the two countries are starting to talk, that we get again, out. the allies will be put out in the cold. Mm. You know, so so if you're gonna bring along, if you're gonna bring along your allies for and 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 ask the allies for more agency to act in the region and a little bit more ownership in, in maintaining and managing the regional uh, 
uh, order, so to speak, then we also would like to have more signal from uh, from the United States in particular that that when you talk, it's not at the expense of you know your allies or your friends or your partners in the region, right? So so that's uh, that's where we are. So in in any case. Uh, I know we're hitting up quite uh, long again for this uh, one topic. It's been a really, really good discussion. And I'd like to thank uh, Nick for uh, telling us to meet this time around and for preparing the start of the talk to Neil and to Orson who can come in on short notice. Uh, thank you again for all the listeners. Uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed our chat today. And uh, we, will keep, we will keep coming back on this topic as the elections in the United States and a lot of elections are coming up um, as well uh, next year. And um, thank you again for listening to us. Uh, please remember to subscribe and recommend us to your friends and, and people who uh, care about uh, regional affairs. Thank you.